Galatians speaks to all kinds of broken relationships. Um, but, but specifically, first and foremost, it's an ethnic deal. And, and so what does that mean for 2022? What does that mean for our lives in San Diego? And so uh, JT and Molly Thomas have come from Ferguson, Missouri, uh, to be part of our community for a day. And JT is going to be speaking on this. I'm going to introduce him in a, in a couple seconds here. He began an organization uh, that was birthed out of a response, a spirit-led response to pain. And, and you're going to hear more about that from him, I imagine. And his organization is called Civil Righteousness. And it's beautiful uh, what he is doing and how he's articulating Jesus' response through his church to the problem of race today. And it has direct import on all of our lives. And so without any further uh, delay, I'd love to introduce to you uh, J.T. Thomas. Give him a welcome. And the last thing I want to say is on the screen, can you put the Slido thing on the screen? When he's, done, when he's done with his main talk, you should take a screenshot of this right now if you want to ask any questions. We're going to have a time of Q&A um, where JT's going to respond to the questions you type in. So if at any point during his talk, there's a question that bubbles up, type it into that website with that code and you'll get our session. But again, welcome JT. Praise the Lord, everybody. I said, praise the Lord, everybody. It is such an honor to be with you this morning and uh, with also you who are joining via live stream. I'm going to apologize to the live streamers because I move a lot. Um, and so I'm going to try to keep myself within your purview. But uh, just such an honor to be with you. Uh, on this historic day, this historic moment, a day that we'll never see again, a moment we'll never live in again. So we better make the most of it, right? Okay. Now I'm going to give you guys some, some protocols uh, because I come out of, I'm raised in the deep south in North Carolina, which means that at certain points during my, what you might call a talk, um, I will do my best to talk, but I am a preacher. And I am a preacher's kid to the fifth generation. And these were not preachers who just talked, but they were preachers who shouted. Ah! Every once in a while, you might hear something like that come out. Uh, and also, you might hear my southern accent. You probably didn't know that black people could sound like this. Uh, but it's, that's my native dialect, and so you might hear my words slow down and get drawn out a little bit more during the message uh, today. But also, when I ask you a question because of the culture that I came up in, that means it demands a response. Somebody say a response. I said somebody say a response. Now, I know you're not a black church, but you might sound like one today, okay? Now, if I get pretty, pretty hard, if I say some weighty things that kind of hit you and rub you raw, and you're like, I don't know about that, I struggle with that, that hurts, that doesn't feel good, that's okay, you praise your way through it. And so you might just have to, I might ask you to take a praise break. And so a black preacher might say, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, go ahead and do this, neighbor, I'm ready to praise. Now put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise. 
Now, so this is what we do. We praise our way through. Now, because of that, this is Black History Month. So I'm teaching you something about black history. In black history, God in the deepest and darkest moments of our experience in shadow slavery, the transatlantic slave trade, the diaspora, the, the, uh, the African scattering throughout the nations of the earth, in the darkest moments of human history, the technology of heaven was released to a people in chains. And it was the sound of communication with one another, but most of all, the sound of heaven and intercession that came in the form of a song. And so today, some of the most uh, prolific singers and musicians and music that has impacted global culture came out of the descendants of the diaspora who were singing their, their, their intercession unto God in the slave uh, fields of the deep south. And so that became the bedrock and the foundation for gospel music, blues, jazz, R&B, rap, hip hop. All of it was founded in the technology of the song of the Lord that was released in the fields. And so because of that, my great, great, great grandfather and great, great grandmother and great, great, greats, all of my greats always started a message uh, about Jesus with a song. So to honor them, I have to do that. Is that okay? Now, I'm not a singer. I'm actually a drummer. But in the black church, everybody's a drummer because my dad always used to joke about the fact that he didn't have slides and technology and cameras. He said we couldn't even afford feet. We were so poor. But the truth of the matter is every person in the church became an instrument. Every voice was an instrument, every foot, every hand. And so we would do stuff like this. Oh, this is a good floor for that. So I just want you to put your hands together like this. That's good. That's good. That's good. So you got that piece. Okay. You can pause. You can pause. You can pause. You can pause. San Diego's got some rhythm tonight, today, this morning. That's good. I, I like that. Now, I'm not going to, we don't have time for me to, to put all the elements together, but we would sing a song, and I'm only going to sing one line of it, but we go, trouble in my way. Did you hear that? Hey, can y'all come up to the microphone real quick? Can you come up to the microphone real quick? Just right here, they're going to help me out. Come on, put your hands together. Now, when I say trouble in my way, you respond trouble in my way in the tone that they do it. Trouble in my way. Trouble in my way. Let's do that again. Trouble in my way. Trouble in my way. I have to cry sometimes. I have to cry sometimes. Trouble in my way. Trouble in my way. I have to cry sometimes. I have to cry sometimes. I lay awake at night. I lay awake at night. But that's all right. That's all right. I know that Jesus. Jesus, he will fix it. I know that Jesus. Jesus, he will fix it. I know that Jesus. Jesus, he will fix it. After a while. After a while. We're just going to go. I know that Jesus, 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 he will fix it. I know that Jesus, Jesus, he will fix it. I know that Jesus, Jesus, he will fix it. 
after a while. After a while. One second, one second. We're not done. We're not done. You need to stand up on your feet. Come on, Park Hill. Stand up on your feet. This is not a concert or a spectator sport. I need you to enter in right now. If you don't know of any other words, just say, Jesus, he will fix it. There you go. They sound good. Because I know that Jesus. Jesus, he will fix it. I know that Jesus. Jesus, he will fix it. Come on, Park. I know that Jesus. Jesus, he will fix it. After a while. Come on, put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. You can be seated. (laughs) Y'all sound good, Park Hill. Gospel Mass Choir of San Diego. Amen. See, the song of deliverance is part of the glory and the beauty of our inheritance together in the saints. It is part of the glory and the beauty of the mystery. Someone say the mystery. The movement of the spirit in the 50s and the 60s that gave birth to the historic black civil rights movement was a Jesus movement. Throughout church history, we think of the first great awakening and the second great awakening and Some say there was a third great awakening. Others say we're still awaiting a third great awakening. We know that there was a Jesus movement in the 70s that came out of California. But the truth of the matter is when we think of the historic black civil rights movement, we often do not look at it as a manifestation of the supernatural power of God coming upon a nation to transform and reform systems, structures, and people that had held people in bondage for generations. But Jesus is the great emancipator. And when Jesus brings freedom, he does it by his spirit. So there was an outpouring of the spirit that affected cultural change. Through the manifestation of the Isaiah 42 Jesus, who it describes as the one, the elect one, the servant of God, upon whom he's placed his spirit, who will bring forth justice for truth who zealously answers the groanings of the ethnos or the nations, the people groups who put their hope in him. Now, this is an amazing thing when we think about this Jesus. Jesus, who is justice. Somebody say, Jesus Jesus. is justice. Justice is not an activity first. Justice is a person. And we are a people who proceed from the person. And in John 17, this Jesus, in verse 4 of John 17 says, Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He says, I've already done it. It is finished. 
What was the work? What did he do? Well, in Colossians 1, it says, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things. Somebody say all things. Look at your neighbor on your right and say all things. Look at your neighbor on your left and say all things. Now look at the person in front of you and say it from your belly. All things. There you go. It was the father's pleasure that the fullness of all things would dwell in the Christ and that Christ would come to the earth, the God-man, and that he would reconcile everything on earth with everything that is in heaven, having made peace through the blood of of his cross. And through him to reconcile, say reconcile, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, somebody say peace, by the blood of his cross. Jesus' work on the earth, the primary description of his activity is that he steps into into time and space from eternity And he begins to reconcile every single thing that has happened in human history. Every trauma, every oppression, every depression, every every, uh, system, every structure to reconcile it to God himself. And to make peace. Now in this very passage of Colossians 1, 19 through 20, he says, making peace through the blood of his cross twice to reconcile and to make peace. And in John 17, God says, I've accomplished what you sent me to do. I've reconciled and I've made peace. Jesus has effectively finished the work of making us one. He has already accomplished the ministry of reconciliation and he did it by creating a new humanity, a multi-ethnic, multicultural family of affection. And now he has committed to us the work of annexing the earth and bringing it under the sway of his government. JT, I don't understand what you're saying. Good, because I'm going to keep preaching. In John 17, verse 22, it says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. It's already done, I've done it. The glory that the Father gave the Son, the Son says to the Father, I've given it away, I've given it to them, that they may be one as we are one. Often we hear a, a teaching on John 17, and we talk about this as if Jesus is still begging the Father, God, please, I pray that one day they will be one. No, he, pre, he, he, he already sets the precedent and says, I've already done it, it's done. And in order that they might walk out their oneness, I have given them supernatural glory. I have given them grace that they can actually be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, 
that they may become perfectly one. I in them and you in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The Father in Christ, Christ in me. He says, I have given you the glory of being a place that I dwell in. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Well, in Galatians 3, talking about this glory, in verse 27, it says, for many of you were baptized into Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So oneness has been accomplished by Jesus. And if we have passed through the blood of Jesus and been baptized into Christ, we no longer wear our primary earthly identity. We actually put on our identity in the Son. We put him on like clothing. And it says we're heirs according to the promise. So oneness is not something we have to fight for. Rather, it's a reality that we have to learn how to embrace. Let me say that again. Oneness is not something we have to fight for. It's a a reality of our new identity and our status and our citizenship as sons and daughters together and co-heirs with one another and co-heirs with Christ. And we have to learn how to operate in the beauty of our messianic unity. Now, I know that's a lot of language. Let me break that down. See, there are three types of unity that I believe exist. One is a creational unity. A creational unity is where we acknowledge kind of the the unique worth of everything created. We have empathy for animals and for nature and trees and all these different things because we see the beauty and the value of creation. There's something in us that, that kind of honors the image of God in creation and we, we can unify around the fact that it's probably not cool to, to uh, pollute our air and our oceans and the world in which we live. That, can, that type of unity can be engendered from just a basic kind of Imago Dei wiring inside of us that has a general respect for creation. But the second unity, and that, that, that creational unity also extends to the Imago Dei, the image of God within humanity. If I respect that you were made in God's image and I was made in God's image, we can kind of deal with that. But the second unity is an Adamic unity. The unity we find in Adam, in the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Uh, The fall of man happens as sin enters the world. And all of us now, no matter how good we look in this room today, how nice your outfit is, how big your bank account is, all of us are sharing with one another in Adamic brokenness. We are broken in Adam. In Adam, we all die. And in Adam, I believe Lauren Hill had a, had a song. She has that, that, that phrase over and over, in Adam, we all die. And, and the truth is, is, there's an Adamic unity 
being born of the flesh into the families of man through the womb of a woman. Every single one of us in this, in this room were incubated in the womb of a woman. So if we cannot agree politically, if we cannot agree spiritually, theologically, if we cannot agree socioeconomically, if we cannot find agreement in any other space, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you and I have at least one similar experience in our life. And that is that God knit us together in our mother's womb. So many times when it comes to the ethnic and the cultural conversations, we're starting from a political place, we're starting from a sociological place, we're starting from an academic place, an intellectual place, we're starting in all these places, but Jesus addresses the most intense moments of human history, the most intense situations in humanity from this reality, in Adam, everybody dies. So when we come to the table and we start to think about reconciliation, the starting place is our Adamic brokenness. And in Adam, we inherit sin. In Adam, we're dead. In Adam, we have these fallen systems, this brokenness. There are debates right now about uh, critical race theory and all this stuff. And the truth of the matter is the Bible says, because not only Adam and Eve sinned, the whole world fell, And as a result, we have to assume that our assumptions and our opinions and our ideas and our worldviews and our cultures and our traditions and even our preferences most likely are broken in some way. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you're black, Asian, Latino. It does not matter. You, whatever you think is great about you and your culture, I guarantee you, you share Adamic brokenness. And that's how we enter into the conversation. But then from there, we have to learn how to tap into Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that's where we enter into a messianic unity. Somebody say messianic unity. That's being born of the spirit into the family of God through the womb of the man on the cross. Can a man give birth? Only one man in history did, and it was Jesus. His water broke while he was on the cross. They pierced his side and water and blood ran out. And that was the birthplace. That was the womb. The womb of the cross was the birthing of a new humanity. We have to pass through the blood of Jesus in salvation and the water in baptism to give birth to the spirit, the new man. Do you hear me? A woman's, our mother's water broke. We passed through the blood and the water and we came out in our Adamic brokenness. Jesus's water broke. We passed through the cross and we and were raised with him in messianic wholeness. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you just said. It's okay, you'll get it tomorrow. But it is mysterious. It's very mysterious. That's why in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. But if we looked specifically at Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. The apostle writes saying, making known to us the mystery, somebody say mystery, of his will. 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There it is again. What is the, what is the plan of God in the fullness of time at the end of human history? It's actually that heaven and earth become one and that everything would be united in Christ. Our greatest challenge has been and continues to be the challenge of living into and walking out this new humanity. This mystery, which was hidden throughout the ages, it was even hidden from angels, has now been made known to us. And the apostles, uh, uh, the apostle Paul actually implores us and actually uh, uh, confronts us, exhorts us. He says, do not be ignorant of this mystery. In Ephesians 2, Starting at verse 11, if you could look there, if you have a Bible, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Are you with me this morning, Park Hill? In Ephesians 2, verse 11, I believe I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It could be New King James. Don't be mad at me. But it says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He automatically, let's just pause. He automatically makes it an ethnic and cultural issue. He's confronting cultural norms, preferences, and traditions. And he's going, the, the, the Jewish people called you Gentiles who are not Jewish They called you unclean. They called you unholy, uncircumcised. You were the uncircumcision. They were the circumcised and chosen ones. He says, remember that at one time, separated from Christ, you were separated and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. It was first for Israel. It was not for you. They were chosen. They lived like they were chosen. They thought you were not chosen. They would not eat with you. They would not fellowship with you. They did not like you. They called you dogs. They called you all these different names. You were separated. There was segregation. And then he says, but now, somebody say, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and has made both of us one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If somebody, I, I, I was, I've been a part of so many protests. I've been in cities all over the nation in the midst of civil unrest. And I love seeing these people that, that uh, have on shirts that say end racism. But let me let you know, I have an announcement. Racism was actually abolished on the cross. Half the room's like, I understand what you're saying. The other half is like, "Uh uh-uh, man, somebody called me a bad word yesterday. No, I want to, I'm not saying that the finished work has been appropriated to every place in the culture. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? But this right here shows you how racism was ended in the spirit. He says, in myself, the two have become one. Peace has been made. And in verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and he preached peace to those of you who are far off and peace to those who are near. A missions movement of Jesus declaring peace. In verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy dwelling place, a tabernacle in the Lord. In him, you are being built into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Let me just give you a picture. Jesus has put within himself uh, uh, and within us, we are image bearers and he has put unique attributes and expressions of himself within every people group uniquely. In other words, there are songs that come out of the African diaspora and out of that experience, which means there's a sound that African-Americans uniquely have. Africans uh, of different tribes have their own unique attributes and sounds. But if we were to look at African-American culture, you could be a music student in this room and you're white and you can study your whole life and you can study Negro spirituals your whole life. But I can tell tell you right now, no matter how much you try to sound like a black woman, if you're a blonde-headed white woman, you will never sound like a black woman. Well, JT, that sounds very racist. I'm not saying you can't sing as good. I'm not saying the black woman sings better. But what I'm trying to say is there is a unique sound that was cultivated through hundreds of years, even generations, and there's a unique kind of... uh, intonation that God puts within the the African-American experience that is unique to that culture, does that make sense? In the same way, my, my wife used to do competitive salsa dancing, and she, she uh, compet, uh, uh, competed on a bachata team. Anybody know what the bachata is? The bachata is a type of dance where it's like the, the rhythm is, and it's like a one, two, No matter how hard I try to study bachata and do bachata, I have rhythm. I thought I looked pretty good on the on the dance floor. I'm like, I'm killing it. And then a Mexican brother gets out of there and he's he's inherited the movement through generations of those who have danced the bachata. And he gets beside me. He's like, oh, good job. I'm like. I will dance the bachata my entire life and I will never look even remotely as good as this Latino brother. And there's something about the beauty of the glory of the family of God that God is saying it's, it's, it's not beauty if it all looks and sounds just like you. In Matthew 22, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a banqueting table. What kind of banquet, what kind of feast do you go to if all the food is all from the same place? You see, even the the concept of harvest, different regions of the earth, God connects people to place. And I can't grow in Missouri what you can grow in California. Idaho, they can grow potatoes, but they cannot grow uh, tangerines. Right. And so God connects. He assigns places to people and he connects the harvest of the land where people live to the people. 
And God in the end time global harvest desires to bring forth the unique fruits and vegetables in the garden, the, 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 the seed of what is in the ground, not only where people live, but in the people groups himself. And he says, I'm going to set a, a, a table for my father and the whole nation, all the nations of the world are invited and it will be a feast unto the Lord, a banquet with a banner flying over it called love. But he preaches peace. Shalom. Shalom is a glory of this mystery in which I'm speaking today. And the word shalom, Hebrew is pictorial language. And in Hebrew, the letters that spell shalom are mem, vav, lamed, and shin. Now, shin, reading from Right to left, if you're looking at the word, it kind of looks like a tooth and it actually means consume or destroy. To consume or destroy. Lamed looks like a shepherd's staff, which actually means leader or authority or to grab. What does a shepherd do with a staff? Grabs the sheep and pulls them back from danger. The next letter of the word shalom is vav, which means to bind together. And then the first letter, mem, is associated with water and means chaos of the mighty. So if you were to break down the meaning of the word shalom based on its letters, it actually is the divine presence of God which binds up the leader of chaos. Are you, are, are you tracking with me? Shalom means the divine presence of God which binds up the leader of chaos. So when we think of peace, you might think, well, peace is the opposite of what I have right now because JT is screaming into the microphone. Peace is not a tone of voice. Peace is not passivity. Peace is the most powerful weapon that we can wield as sons and daughters in our day today. The Bible actually says for us to go out into the world with our feet having been shod with the preparation of the gospel of the gospel of peace. If you look at the the apostolic greetings in the word, it was always grace and peace peace be to you. We have instructions to leave our peace on the places that we visit. The truth of the matter is that peace is a supernatural manifestation of the kingdom. And as chaos is increasing in the culture in which we live today, in the age that we're navigating and that our sons and daughters are going to navigate through, you and I have to have a revelation of the shalom of God like we've never had before. Because the, the police are peacekeepers, but we are called to be peacemakers. And the only way you can make peace is to be where there is no peace. In Isaiah 9, it says the increase of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In Romans 16, it says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. In John 14, 27, it says, peace, I leave you. My peace I give to you, but it's not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Uh, In Matthew 5, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Right now, there is a war 
over our peace, especially as it relates to uh, racial or ethnic tensions and as it relates to socio-political conversations. And I'm here to tell you right now, there is a spirit of this age that is trying to get us to choose sides and to get so indoctrinated and radicalized by the chatter in the culture. There's a whirlwind of the noise of many waters have been stirred. And in 2020 was the beginning of this stirring of the waters and all the things that have been under the surface and the unhealed wounding that we've inherited in our generation. We've inherited inherited the, the sins of our forefathers and foremothers, and it's gone unconfronted by the peacemakers, by the church. We have not confronted it, and so a false Messiah or a false deliverance has, the noise of false deliverance has begun to rise from the culture, and God is saying, I came to raise up a multicultural, multi-ethnic family of sons and daughters who will make the peace where there is no peace. They will bind up the leader of chaos and the God of peace will crush Satan under their feet. So there's, I'm going to wrap this up so we can get into our Q&A time, but there are four graces. The grace of Shalom is one of our redemptive glories in the mystery. The grace of revelation in Ephesians 3, Paul says, you've heard of the grace that was given to me to make known this mystery. We actually need supernatural grace from God to understand the mystery and to steward the mystery. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, it talks about the grace of acknowledgement, confession, and confrontation when your brother has something against you. It says, go to him and tell him his fault. So God gives us a supernatural grace to acknowledge our sin and to confess it to one another and deal with it. And in that same passage, it says, if your brother refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. It says, bring two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, tell it to the church. Let the church judge the matter. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then you cast them out. God wants us as a community to begin to enter into our position as governors in the land. Do you know that if you cannot settle a political conflict, a relational conflict, a racial conflict in the church, it will never be settled in the world. He says, if your brother has a conflict we are the sons and daughters who have a culture where it's okay. Bring it to the church and let's deal with it here because Jesus is the prince of peace. He will bring shalom and solutions to the situation. But he's looking for us as a community to enter into our authority as judges in the land. But we have to deal with these issues in the spirit. And the inworking of righteousness should produce an outworking of justice in our cities. Our job is to infuse the ethos of our family culture into civil society. We build the culture of heaven in and among us as the body of Christ. And then we build the city of God within our communities according to the blueprints and the precepts of our native land. Yesterday, 
I was having lunch with my wife, sitting on a, a, a pier, and this lady, this white lady, was staring at me this, the moment I sat down. I was the only black guy on the patio, and I don't always go into situations and immediately think racism when something weird is happening. I just don't do that. I don't pull out that card. But I sat and she was staring and not breaking eye contact with me, just staring intensely at me. And I'm like, what in the world is this woman doing? Like, I know I look good, but that good, you know? (laughs) And then eventually she just goes into this rant about blacks and Asians to the person sitting across from her. She says, I don't know why the news media is making all the white people the problem. We're not the problem. This literally happened. She's like, it's the black people that are, that are attacking the Asians. I'm not anti-Asian. We're not anti-Asian. It's the blacks. It's those blacks. And, and here's the thing. She, she said she, her grievance was that she believed black people were the ones attacking Asians, but black people are making the most noise and that no one can say anything about what black people are doing without her being accused of being racist. So she was basically like, black people are running amok in the streets, running the the cultural conversation and running with immunity, and we can't say anything about it. Now, the truth of the matter is, I would love to sit down and, and ask some more questions and hear more of what made her land on that viewpoint, why does she feel this way? Clearly she's injured. Um, maybe some of the things she's saying are true. I don't know. But the truth of the matter, we've, we've gotten to a place in our culture where people are so radicalized that they're becoming demonized. Y'all didn't hear me. There was a demonic energy behind her, her language. I'm not calling her a racist, but what I could see in her eyes and the, the vitriol, because racism is a spirit. I can walk into a room without anybody saying a word to me. My wife and I, she knows now because she's white. My wife and I can drive into a certain cities and drive up to a gas station. And as soon as we park, we feel the spirit of racism without seeing a person. We're like, uh, we better go to, to another town. We better stop somewhere else. And I could see the demonic that was tormenting her. She was tormented in her mind. She went from ranting about blacks and Asians to talking about Joe Rogan and COVID and vaccines and all these different things. And I could hear the sound of the spirit of the age that is coming through the screens and the podcast and the airwaves. And it is demonizing people on the left and the right. And Jesus says, I'm looking for a people of peace at Park Hill Church in San Diego who will operate in their authority as sons and daughters and bind up the leader of chaos. And so in Matthew 18, where it talks about dealing with the issues of of conflict within your community, it goes right out of confessing your sins who you have a problem with, with your brother or sister. It goes right out of that and it says, whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever is loosed on 
on, on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have to understand that if you have unforgiveness, bitterness, all the, the cultural chaos and the noises and the voices that are influencing your worldview as you navigate the cultural times that we're in, I'm here to tell you, you are either being bound up by the spirit of the age and have no authority to deal with it, or God actually wants to deliver you because he who the sun sets free is free indeed, and he wants to deliver you so that you can become a deliverer to our generation. Now, some of you right now, I know, are being disturbed internally on several levels. And wherever you feel that disturbance, I'm here to tell you racism is something that we inherit. Racism or, or, or the Antichrist spirit that is the spirit of this age is really what we're dealing with. And if you feel angry whenever you hear somebody start to talk about race or culture, if you feel like, I'm just so sick of this, I'm tired of this, why do they keep bringing this up? Why does Evan keep making us talk about this at the church? I'm I'm here to tell you, it's not because there's a political agenda. It's because Jesus wants Christ to be fully formed in us. And the disturbance on the inside is literally the antichrist spirit that God wants to set us free from. Every one of us, none of us are exempt. In Galatians 4, it says that we are children of the free woman. I don't have time to go into to that right now. But our native tongue and our native language and our native land is the New Jerusalem, not this, not America. I don't know if you heard me. Our native land is the New Jerusalem. We have an inheritance with Israel in the saints. And the Lord wants us to be able to live from that seated position with Christ in heavenly places and then transform our city and our culture from there. Amen. My goodness. So I think, I, I think we need a moment just to be in God's presence. We're not gonna sing yet. I, I do kind of, this makes me wanna shorten Q&A and just go straight to, instead of questioning you, just like questioning God and like seeking his face and asking him to pour out his spirit on our church. Uh, but we're gonna ask you some questions. We're gonna do this. There's several um, that have come in, but, but first, can we just take a deep breath and acknowledge the presence of the one spirit, the same spirit, that poured himself out at Pentecost and birthed, you know, water and spirit through Christ birthed one new family. That's, he is here. The Holy Spirit is here. He's good. Holy Spirit, come. We just experienced your breath through J.T. Thomas his faithfulness that originates in your faithfulness, we just witnessed it. Keep breathing, Holy Spirit, on us.
you are the worship leader, Holy Spirit. May you gather up all of our praise and all of our lament, our grief and our joy. Gather it all up. Breathe on it. Bring it to the throne of the Ancient of Days, the living God, at whose right hand sits Christ our Lord. May this time of dialogue as a family be also every bit worship. And it'll lead us all the way to song and prayer and the bread and the cup. Here we are. Have us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a good, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start putting these questions over. And you guys can start um, voting on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's go with that first one. What's one thing we can do? So, JT, I would, I would love to ask you that. That's, that's an obvious question in a moment like this. Uh, what now? Practical tools and, and um, really directions you give churches when you do this. What, what, how can we live out what you just gave us in a practical way? Well, the first thing I would say is the discipline, uh, the spiritual discipline of fasting and prayer. And not just any fast, but in Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58 is really the, the fast, it says, that breaks the yoke of oppression. So many times when we talk about justice and mercy work, we assume that the oppressed are the poor. You know, that's, that's an easy, or the homeless, you know, they are oppressed. When in fact, in global culture, some of the, if that is the, the, the definition of oppression, you go to certain places of Africa and they have more spiritual riches, more joy, more yeah. hope, more. They actually have wealth beyond what we can imagine here in the West. Yeah. We're over here dealing with suicide and depression and all these different things. And so poverty, spirit, uh, financial poverty is not the litmus test for oppression. And yeah. in fact, historically, um, who was the who was the oppressed one, the, the slave or the slave master? Who, who was really oppressed? Yeah, both. Both were the oppressed. Slave, the slave master was, was oppressed with the Negro. Right, right. The, the slave master was, was in as much, if not more, bondage than the slave. And so we have to allow the Lord to redefine our, our, um, mm. uh, our mm. definitions mm. of how we see things. And we do that through fasting and prayer. And Isaiah 58 is the, is the fast that uh, breaks the yoke of oppression, which we're all in our Adamic nature, we're all under. And so it gives very specific ways that we can begin to spend ourselves, uh, arrest our own thoughts and emotions, stop pointing the finger and speaking wickedness, slander, cut off the news, yeah, yeah. you know, all those different things. Uh, it's a great roadmap for us to begin to fashion our lives around for living differently. Well, that, that one's uh, the clear leader. Uh, it's bound to come up. How does the gospel respond to CTR? Critical race theory. This is something people are concerned with when this conversation comes up. How does the gospel respond to it? Um, that, the answer to that question is an onion. It's, it's multi-layered. Um, um, it's a thick answer. Or th there are no thin answers to thick questions, right? So... Um, I'll simply say that the gospel, when you follow some of what CRT 
um, identifies, it ultimately lands, you can, you can ultimately end in a very hopeless place. Yeah. Um, when the gospel ultimately identifies what it takes, what it's taken uh, decades of uh, academics and professionals in various uh, arenas of influence, it has taken them decades to develop and to think about CRT. Um, when the, the gospel simply defines what CRT identifies as brokenness, as sin, yeah. right? Yeah. And it defines the true oppressor, uh, oppressor. The gospel defines the true oppressor as Satan himself, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, as powers and principalities. So the gospel elevates CRT and puts it in the, in the realm of the spirit and then invites us into dealing with the issues or some of the things that CRT addresses from a spiritual internal place of righteousness first at an individual and then corporate, then institutional and um, systemic level, if that makes sense. So Jesus, the gospel actually, uh, there are things within CRT that the gospel aligns with, and there are things within CRT um, that when it comes to the ultimate conclusion uh, land in uh, polar polarizing uh, polarizingly different polar yeah. Yeah. <laughs> landing uh, spots if yeah. that makes sense that was not an eloquent answer but uh, but I'm trying to condense some complex yeah. thoughts into a simple yeah I mean I just to follow up on that personally my, my experience with that question is you know most most people who talk about CRT probably 99.9 percent haven't read CRT, right? And uh, and and don't and I don't know. I don't really know the arguments myself. Yeah. But that accusation of CRT has been co-opted and filled with uh, venom and used by really the right to guard against any conversation about race. Yeah, it, and it, you know, so so it's like, oh, watch out! The church over down the street in Point Loma is talking about race. Uh, and, and now there's and now there's like everyone's CRT alarmism is up uh, when that's not what we're talking about. You last night sat with our team and told us how you respond in a gospel center way to race. It's not in CRT land because that's academics. You are on the streets of where there's pain points. Yeah. Explain what that looks like. Like how do you actually respond to racism as the president of civil righteousness? Well, I think we are called again. I, I cannot understate the necessity of us having a revelation of the role of our responsibility as peacemakers and as reconcilers. We largely have no idea how much authority Jesus has given us. Come on. I mean, some people see a violent community and they go, oh, don't go through there. It's a violent community. When actually the wiring of the kingdom goes, oh, it's a violent community. And if I don't go there, it will remain a violent community. Come on. Jesus, the apostles, every single one of them, they threw themselves into the place of conflict. And right now people have conversations around CRT and race, and it's this cerebral academic 
exercise with a bunch of people who have opinions and they type it on, from the comfort and the safety of their, their, uh, their anonymous avatar. <laughs> you know, everybody's a subject matter act expert in their armchairs and very few people actually live and spend their time and walk among the streets where the stuff re- meets the road and where nobody cares how many books you've written or how many degrees you have. Come on. So the, the slaves, the enslaved, my enslaved ancestors were not uh, uh, given access to the finest institutions and yet they had a deep revelatory knowledge of Jesus the emancipator and they couldn't sit here and write you write you a a 500 page thesis on why they believe what they believe about Jesus as the emancipator they lived out an experience that brought them into a revelatory encounter with the man Jesus in a real way and so what we do is we go into the places of conflict and we say God what does it look like for us to live out the ministry of reconciliation in a practical physical way with feet on the ground and proximate intercession confronting powers of darkness and confronting the powers that need to be confronted in the places of power uh, through strategies that don't come from good ideas for man, yeah. but come, that proceed from the wisdom and the spirit of revelation that comes from Jesus. Come on. So you, <laughs> I'm just going to ask you to unpack that phrase you just used, because you did with our team again last night, and it was uh, so challenging and freeing. Proximate intercession. The, this is and actionable that his organization encourages churches to do. What does it look like to engage in proximate intercession? Um, it is to, the, part of what I, I laid out last night is that whenever there is a violation of the image of God, so the justice issue is about violating the image of God within a person or a people. Does that make sense? So sexism, racism, all of these different things, they are violating God himself, his image as contained and expressed within the skin or the cultural expression of the other. And so whenever that happens, it produces a breach in the spirit world. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, there's first the spirit or first the natural, then the spirit. So in other words, you have the natural world that we, that we live and move in, and then you have the spiritual world. And anytime there's a violation in the natural, it causes a breach in the spirit. So in Ezekiel 22, it says, I looked, because the people had committed oppressions and bribery, I looked for a man who would stand in the gap or the breach so that I would not, and build up a wall of righteousness so that I would not have to destroy it. So Jesus, uh, a perfect example is Eve and Adam eat the apple in the natural and it causes a breach between God and man in the spirit. So there's a gap that the father sends the son Jesus into to now bring them back into reconciliation, right? So there's a spiritual breach that God calls us into any time there's been a history of injustice or violation and even down to um, even down to a street, maybe in San Diego, where you know this is the dividing line between the Latino community and uh, 
the Caucasian community, or this is a place where historically the native peoples, uh, their land was stolen. When that happened, you can go and try to change the laws. You can do protests and marches and uh, start nonprofit organizations and give billions of dollars towards uh, addressing educational disparities or whatever it may be. But if the church, our primary jurisdiction is in the realm of the spirit, if we don't understand the spirit and go to repair the breach in the spirit first, then it will go from generation to generation with the same cycles of oppression and we'll still be having the same conversations 500 years from now. Come on. So what we do is we go into the places where we call the breach. We call them altars of pain. Every city has an altar. And we go in and we turn the altar of pain into an altar of presence through repentance and through worship. And then as we feel, you can literally feel the atmosphere change in a city where an altar of pain is. We have seen it over and over. Literal, the atmosphere changed to the point there was one example. There's a street in St. Louis called Grand Avenue, which was the, the corridor. It was called Murder, or Murder Row. I mean, just the most violent prostitution, drug houses. There was an old hotel called the Grand Hotel. We went and repented and prayed for a year every Saturday in front of Grand Hotel. And then we were, the atmosphere was changing every Saturday. The community noticed us out there. We're starting to share the gospel with people. And then we prayed, God, we don't know how to do it, but remove this grand hotel where sex trafficking and all these different things were happening. Yeah. God, we, we pray, we take our authority as judges in the land and we, we call this, this row, what was once uh, murder row, we call it holiness unto the Lord, a highway of holiness. We put signs out that said holy and we said every unholy thing on this street has to go, starting with the Grand Hotel. And today, God, we ask that you would demolish this hotel. Do you know two weeks later, Two weeks later, they rolled, with, without us calling City Hall or doing anything, we had no idea. Two weeks later, there were tractors and cats and bulldozers bulldozing Grand Motel. Come on. Some people might go, well, well, that's coincidental. No, we were actually doing business with God yeah. in the spirit and then seeing the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whenever I've heard you talk about this, you, this is where you begin. You begin with the spiritual and move into the natural. Um, and, that, and that's connected to this top question people are wanting to know about. Explain the idea of demonization. You use that word to describe the woman yesterday who was all wrapped up in noise and, and talking points from media or whatever. And, and you've already touched it a little bit. With this proximate intercession, you're, you're taking down strongholds in geographical regions that have a history of oppressing human beings because of their differences. So, and you're, but you're, and this is the gift that you bring. Um, you root all of your points in uh, the biblical story of the serpent and the serpent crusher. You know, Satan who, who brought about the fall in Eden um, and, and our sharing in the brokenness of that fall as humans and then the serpent crusher Jesus who crushes Satan's head and now we join Jesus in the crushing. And so that's yeah. like your whole deal. That's your whole yeah. thing, which is a gift to the church. So how, how uh, explain the idea of demonization um, and how do we apply that today? Proximate intercession is one way. This is, this is very, I, 
these types of answers and conversations are really difficult to have here in the West because Western culture is the only culture globally that, that actually believes that the natural is more real than the spiritual. Global culture, Africa, Asia, you name it, everybody else has a value that the spiritual world is more real than the natural world. And so here we're still debating, uh, does God still heal today? Does he move today? So we can't get to like yeah. the more complex understandings of like the organization of governments in the spirit. But the truth of the matter is just as we have cities that have municipalities and you have uh, layers and levels of authority and seats of authority in the natural that oversee, you know, workers and, and, and different things in the spirit over cities, there are, it's a kingdom, like the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And you have lords who, who, are, who are appointed in the demonic realm over cities and regions. And so what you have to understand is that Ephesians goes to great lengths to say that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. The media narrative, our political narratives will say, well, it's those Democrats. Well, it's those Republicans. Well, it's those black people. Well, it's those Asians. Well, it's those you insert. Whenever we use that us and them language, we're speaking in our carnal language and not our native language as, as sons and daughters. But the truth of the matter is what happens is whenever... Um, a Supreme Court decision comes down that violates the image of God within a group of people, such as in St. Louis, the 1857 Dred Scott decision, which said that uh, blacks or the descendants of African slaves were not human, which set a precedent for 160 years of other legislative decisions. The moment the gavel went down, it caused a spiritual breach and it empowered the demonic spirit that, that actually was controlling the person who authored that legislation. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That person dies, but yet this, this ethereal celestial being is still in its position of power, generationally influencing yeah. people yeah. who come into agreement with those ideologies. Does that make sense? So what happens is people who have a seed or a root of bitterness, maybe it was something that got passed down because your great, great grandparents or whatever owned slaves, or maybe it was you or your mother who accidentally, who uh, not accidentally, but who uh, terribly and unfortunately was robbed by a black person or robbed or raped by someone. And that trauma opens up a seed of bitterness on the inside of you that then the powers and principalities over a region latch onto to then to begin to feed and influence your thinking concerning the other, whoever that other may be. Come on. And this is how you might say, well, but I, I belong to Jesus. The truth of the matter is Jesus is Lord of our lives, but he leads us into sanctification and he begins to expose and reveal things that he breaks the power of in our lives. We get delivered from the power of the spirit of the age. And yeah. then we have authority over that, which once had authority yeah. over us. Yeah. 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 And the, the last question, and then we're going to wrap it up with prayer and communion. Uh, I, 
there's a couple questions that are similar, um, and it's can a Christian be demonized? But there's other questions that touch on that from another angle, like how can Christians uh, respond through the Holy Spirit instead of the unholy spirit? So how do we, re- how do we approach people um, in, a, in a helpful way? And sometimes, you mentioned during the teaching, if as I'm, you said, as, if as I'm speaking, you're feeling resistance, um, this is the spirit of Antichrist. At work in a Christian. So uh, what, how, do you, how do you shepherd Christian communities into first, because you have to know you're demonized <laughs> in order to deal with it. So how do you shepherd Christians into an awareness, oh my gosh, there are other voices that I'm confusing with my own. And then repent and then move to the table. You know, Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. On. that you may be healed <laughs> healing is a process and sometimes and, and deliverance is a process sometimes you know it happens suddenly like my dad when he got saved he, he used to smoke like you know five packs of cigarettes a day and he had his salvation moment and literally suddenly the Lord took away the taste for the cigarettes There's those types of moments. All of you have a testimony, I'm sure, who have met Jesus. You have a testimony of something God has radically delivered you from. Other things, we would be dishonest if we're sitting here and going, well, I never struggle with any sin. All of my thoughts are pure. I have no patterns of iniquity in my life. Somebody's lying to you. You need to be delivered of a lying spirit. (laughs) No, I'm just trying to say the truth of the matter is we are on a journey and this place should be the house. This Come should on. be the family where we're like, Come you know on. what? I know I can bring yeah. all of my nastiness up into my small group at Park Hill. Yes. I know that people are going to walk with me and I can confess. And that acknowledgement opens up a door for light to come, come on. and light drives out darkness every time. JT, thank you. What a gift. Uh, how, how can we pray for civil righteousness, for, for JT and Molly, Thomas? How can we pray for you right now? Specific prayers. Yeah, I, I, we want to see, we want to see the body of Christ at the forefront of this conversation. Leading out civil rights deals with our externals, righteousness deals with our internals. And it is the, the nations are groaning to see the beauty of the, of the healed bride, the multi-ethnic family of God at the forefront of this conversation and leading out in holy activism in our culture. It's, yeah. it's critical. Yeah. And so uh, pray for us that the Lord would give us wisdom in how to build a coalition of churches um, and activate the body of Christ and all of her failures, but also all of her beauty and glory yeah. uh, in cities around the nation. Can we stretch out our hands in a spirit of prayer and just affirming the work of the Spirit through this man and his wife, through civil righteousness and their team. Feel free to go to their website later today before the big game and just check out all that they're doing. Let's pray. Just pray over them. Feel free to pray out loud, whatever the Spirit brings to your heart, as I do. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, pour out your presence in their tight-knit community of leaders. Uh, the 400-some-odd the communities that are taking uh, direct, really, command from civil righteousness, bless their efforts. Bless their peacemaking. <laughs> Lord, I pray that tangible, measurable healing would take place by the end of 2022 in ways that they never thought possible, exceed expectations and trajectories. Bring healing, we pray, through civil righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.